0: Oh, and welcome to episode number 262 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I am Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books and this interview is with Sherry Thomas. We talk about her upcoming book, A Conspiracy in Belgravia, which is the second book in her Charlotte Holmes series. We talk about where Ms. Holmes is going, how the cover art for this book has changed, and we talk about what happens in the story, but don't worry, there are no spoilers. We also talk about the world that's been created around Charlotte, and we discuss Sherry's theory as to why Sherlock Holmes is a figure who is so enticing to rewrite, recast, and revisit. Her theory is really interesting. She also shares some of her secrets of world building and some of the details of her research, and of course we talk about what she's reading. Plus, I have a link to a free short story from Sherry Thomas that's part of the Charlotte Holmes world. So if you are as into the series as I am, I will have a link to that. This week's podcast is brought to you by Once a Rebel by Mary Jo Putney. Known for captivating characters and exceptional historical detail, romance legend Mary Jo Putney writes beautifully crafted, deeply emotional historical romances with a dash of adventure. In Once a Rebel, Mary Jo Putney tackles a setting rarely seen in historical romance, the War of 1812. As experienced by the hero and heroine who are on the ground in the thick of things, the British infantry burn Washington, D.C. to the ground, and the British Navy attempts to capture Baltimore, the conflict that inspired America's national anthem. The battle for Baltimore is rendered in exquisite detail, making once a rebel a poignant look at the fledgling American nation and its relationship with Britain as the character's loyalties to the crown are tested. All's fair in love and war, and you can find out more at kensingtonbooks.com. And I want to send big effusive thanks to Kensington for sponsoring the podcast this month. Thank you, Kensington. You are awesome. If you will allow me a few more minutes of time, just between, you know, you and me, me and your eardrums, I want to let you know, In case you missed my earlier announcements, we have a podcast, Patreon, and I'm super duper proud of it. Also, I will tell you, I was completely scared, poopless to launch it over a year ago. And now it's like one of my favorite things because I talk to the patron sponsors and they give me ideas for upcoming episodes and I ask nosy questions and I share the outtakes with them, which are pretty consistent, especially when my cat tries to crawl in the sound box. So if you would like to have a look, patreon.com slash smart bitches is where you can go. And for very little money, like a dollar a month, you make a significant difference in keeping the podcast more gooder and growing with excellent equipment and bigger opportunities month to month. So thank you for supporting the show and for having a look at the podcast Patreon. It is an enormous help to me. As difficult as it is to talk about things like, you know, crowdsourcing, I really appreciate it. Now, I have many times told authors that you should not read reviews of your own work, especially if it's going to upset you. I generally do not look at reviews of my own work, either the books I've written um, or reviews of the website, which pop up every now and again. But I totally indulged myself with a look at the reviews of this podcast on iTunes and on the new Apple Podcasts app, which I understand is pretty nifty. And y'all are just the greatest, so thank you. Thank you so much for all of the positive reviews and the sharing and the subscribing and helping the podcast grow. It has made a really impressive difference. And I am really humbled and flattered that you hang out every week with me. So thank you. You were so excellent. So are you ready for an interview? I'm ready for an interview. I'm really excited to share this with you. I'll have information at the end of the podcast about the music, as you probably knew, because you probably hang out here each week. But without any further delay the interview and on with the podcast. Welcome back to the podcast ma'am.
1: Thank you Sarah it's great to be back.
0: (laughs) I am am super pleased to talk to you again it's really nice when I get to talk to people for each book Um, and I don't know if (laughs) if you knew this but your publicist sent out what might have been the best book mail I've ever received. Oh I love to hear about that. I got well. Sometimes uh, an advanced copy will arrive with a thing, you know. Sometimes it's like chocolate or a candle. I've gotten um, little packets of tea. So this arrived in a box wrapped up with a really beautiful cup, teacup and saucer, mm. and a Madeline in a package, and then two two sachets of tea and a little note that was like, "We're finally here. It's finally here. You can read it." This this teacup is possibly the nicest piece of china i own now it is so beautiful Ooh, you know like,
1: i think i i think i saw a picture of that on the uh on, on their social media i don't know what it was for i thought they were just taking a nice picture
0: <laughs> nope nope it it is uh it is entirely your book mail i was so impressive and Ooh, it was nice. really easily the nicest book mail that i have received in a very very long time it was super cool
1: Nice. Mine, mine just came in a, in a, in an envelope. <laughs> was
0: not, nothing mean, but an you, arc. You got to write it. I guess that's why. I, I guess.
1: And they, they figure out how they already have Madeline's on hand or something like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so do you like this cover? I find this cover fascinating. I
1: love it. Uh, um, I don't know how much I'm supposed to reveal, but we actually uh, had a different cover. I don't know whether you have ever saw the different cover. Um, Uh, It was very, very pretty. It was like this purplish blue background, um, uh, a young woman in a... uh, It might have been a yellow cape. I can't quite remember. But, you know, it's in front of a garden. It's nighttime. It's beautiful. But I always thought it was like... I always thought it was like a gothic romance rather than a uh, mystery. Um, And lo and behold, it got changed suddenly one day. (laughs) So, yeah, I I really like this new cover. But, of course, um the new cover I'm slightly worried about, too, because I keep thinking if people look at this cover, they're going to expect Jack the Ripper to hop out at any moment. And he does not. This no, It has nothing to do with Jack the Ripper. Uh But it's so atmospheric. It's so, like, old-timey London.
0: Cover, I found the cover you're talking about, and it is very blue and lush and green, and it looks like... It looks like a, a medieval had a baby with a fantasy novel. Right, right. That's what the uh, cape, uh, the cape and the, and the tree. Yes, yes, exactly. Oh,
1: so when uh, Target was interested in this book mm-hmm. and they were like, nah, not with this cover. <laughs> what? <laughs> well, oh, you, you don't know that uh, big, uh, big vendors, they will often uh, request changes on covers if they don't like the cover. Um, I had gone through that with my Y fantasy book. We had a, I I love the first cover, but uh, Barnes and Noble was like, nope, you know. So it got a new cover. I, I love the new cover just as much, but you know, uh, it was a very different tack.
0: Wow. Well, one one thing I love about the new cover is that it it has very little color color, and it's very smoggy and smoky. The way that London is so often described. Yes yes and the and the the background is sort of faded into the clouds and she is disappearing Mm -hmm. and since the first one was her going through a door going through the front door yeah and now because of circumstances in the first book she would probably not be allowed in the front door of a number of houses (laughs) now she's disappearing and that's actually kind of where she wants to go yeah I, i i really like your read on it yeah this is one of the books that I that I got in the mail, and I went, oh, "Ooh, I love this cover. I think it's so evocative, and it's different enough from the first one, but still has elements in common with it, too." Yes, very much, very much um,
1: of of the same. Well, not necessarily the same style, but going toward the same direction, let's say. Yes. Now if you put them together, know- they're definitely a set.
0: They're definitely a set, yes. Now I, noted, I know that for a study in Scarlet, women was a play on a study in Scarlet. What is is there a play for the title of this book too?
1: It, if it is a play, it is a very very roundabout play. Uh, it's actually a play on a uh, BBC Sherlock title. Oh, uh, you remember BBC did uh up um, did a updated version of. Uh, a scandal in Bohemia called A Scandal in Belgravia. That's right. their version of the Irene Adler story. Right. And so this is a take on that.
0: Ah, that's very it, it, It's cool. very,
1: it's very roundabout and it's not by Irene Adler exactly. But um, basically what happened was uh, toward the end of a um, the first draft, uh, so-called the, uh, you've heard of this term, the, the, the truck draft or the truck, version uh basically if the author' is hit by a truck uh then the publisher can have something to sort of put out but it's it's not good and it's not completely ready so at the end of last year, I handed in a truck draft um uh but with the with the final twenty percent maybe yet to be written, and i and I was like, okay, so this is gonna happen, this is gonna happen, and then we're gonna have a big brawl in Belgravia. <laughs> Um, oh. So I so then I joke uh, we should call it a brawl in Belgravia and then I corrected myself oh maybe like a conspiracy in Belgravia would do also you know if we don't want to go like to the low road and say a brawl in Belgravia and they liked it so that's what it's called.
0: I um I do think uh, Charlotte could hold her own in a brawl.
1: Well, she wasn't at the beginning of this book, but. In the middle of this book, she started taking some um, some uh, lessons in yes. fencing. So, so yeah, I the, wouldn't mess the, with her. <laughs> and, and the girl's got some heft. So, you know, she's not a tiny girl. So, no, if she sits on you, <laughs> if she sits on you, she'll have some weight to her.
0: So, I want to talk about what's happening in this book. Um, and where what, what happens in this text of the story, but also I want to try to entice people to buy it and go back and read book one if they haven't done that. So you know no big deal. Um, and, and so as a result, I'm not really sure what to ask you that is too much of a spoiler. But I also imagine that you've been talking enough about the book at this point. You might have a explanation that works, and if not, I'll just ask you all my spoiler questions.
1: Okay, I actually haven't talked about this book that much because the the uh, publicity push is only just starting. So, ah, okay, I think you might be the first person I'm talking about this book with at length. Uh, but awesome,
0: <laughs> let's do it. Okay, so at the end of the last book, mm-hmm. a number of things were both revealed and then um, sort of confirmed. Charlotte is now decidedly outside of good society, right? And which is interesting because it means that she is in a way more free to do things. She has less boundaries and expectations of behavior put on her, but there are also places that she can't go. That is correct. It puts her in a really strange place. So how is she going to use that strange status? And how is it that it doesn't bother her? To put it mildly, I don't
1: think um, Charlotte has a whole lot of Fs to give in the first
0: place (laughs) she she is very low on fucks to give like she's got like one for her entire life
1: yeah i think i think she cares about her sister and uh from her old life i think she cares very much for her um the two sisters who are still unmarried uh and uh, she cares about lord ingram uh who is her friend and they have this sort of um unconsummated romantic longing for each other oh yes they do they do um i think she cares about those few people and seriously everybody else can just go you know bite themselves as far as she's <laughs> <concerned>. <laughs> i mean i i am not saying that is good but that has <laughs> always been who she is uh she's right. just not going to be very sentimentally attached to that many people and that is very um that's a very Sherlock Holmes-y thing, right? Cause because um, Sherlock likes Watson, he likes Irene Adler, and basically he's okay about Mycroft and basically nobody else. So so I think that that is very much in the spirit of Sherlock Holmes. Um as for um as for what is she she's doing with her um with her new status, yeah, she—I think she's just um, making money. She's just keeping herself busy and good for her. And, uh, and making money. And because uh, she wants to have her sisters with her eventually, and to do that, she will need some money. It will—it's it, not cheap. I mean, that's the reason there were so many Victorian bachelors weren't there because um, because it's expensive to keep a woman. <laughs> Right. And And she plans to keep two women around, even though she's not going to have children with them. It's, you know, still two women around costs money. And um, that's what she's working towards.
0: So she is working, as always, with an eye on practical considerations. Her whole purpose is that, you know, the things that she's told she has to put a lot of value in, like her chastity and her behavior, Um, she doesn't actually put a lot of value in those things, but in terms of being able to actually support her family and herself, that's what matters. So if the most expedient path is ruin yourself and start a business, then she'll be like, she's like, well, that's fine. I'll go do that. I think Charlotte, even though she doesn't,
1: I think sometimes she talks in those terms, but most of the time she doesn't, but I believe she understands the world correctly. Uh, in terms of power,
0: yes, exactly, very much so. Uh,
1: it, she she observes and she sees that okay, if a woman knows how to deploy her reproductive system properly, she can gain power from that. But that has never been the route she preferred. Right. For for uh, so one of the reasons she didn't like that is because you can only play that game once. Yes, and you still remain a good woman. You know, uh, so-called good woman, and that seems like way too big a bargain for her. But she likes the much more. Um, the, uh, when I was growing up, um, it was it was not it was late enough uh, in China's uh, history, modern history, that we didn't have to study uh, Chairman Mao's um, little little red book. But still, you know, it was uh, I was there long enough that you learn various things, and one of the things it is there in Chairman Mao's thoughts, is basically uh, political power comes from economic power. Not and, wrong about that. And, and I think, you know, Charlotte is definitely in agreement with that. You know, it, if you want to have control over yourself, it's much better to have economic power. So that's what her
0: mind is bent toward. And whatever she has to do in order to obtain that economic power is... What she'll do? I don't know if she'll
1: do whatever, but uh, whatever that she's willing to do, she will do. <laughs> right.
0: So there's a lot of interpersonal mystery in this book. Um, so at the end of the last book, there's a huge barrier now between her and Ingram, not the least of which is that he's married and she's like, um outside of society. But then his wife hires her. yes, because you know that's not awkward. Not if you, are Char- Charlotte Holmes. <laughs> no, not not for Charlotte, but like every. I think everybody else is like no. And Charlotte is like whatever. Money, money,
1: money, money is money. Clients are clients.
0: The the check will not bounce. All is well. And so she has she has to find Lady Ingram's. Well, I guess they were sweethearts, or yes, uh, er- sweethearts. Er- er- the, the term I often use is erstwhile sweetheart. <laughs> Erstwhile sweetheart. Yes, that is a perfect way to describe that. And then Charlotte figures out that she's connected to this person as well. So it, like, it's, it's almost like there's nine total people in London and the rest is done with mirrors and she has to go find them all. Yes,
1: yes. And this person happens to be her illegitimate brother, uh, whom we briefly referred to in the previous book, so briefly that I'm not sure most people remembered it, but here it is again.
0: <laughs> so you had this part in mind when you were writing the
1: first one. I had no idea what I had in mind when I was writing the first one. <laughs> <laughs> but this is what I believe. Um, if you wrote it, then you will use it later on. Yes, it's there somewhere. So, so, so basically, if I want to uh, use something, I first go see whether I've mentioned something likely. Uh, you know, if I gave Charlotte a half-brother, um, just for whatever purpose, um, unclear purposes, well, now
0: it has a purpose. Yeah. So it's Chekhov's half brother. Yeah. <laughs> so when in this book, um, she's going to she's, it starts with a murder. And I have to say, my, my favorite part of the start of the book is Olivia trying to write about Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> okay, I'm a total sucker for book in a book like already like I'm, I'm already this like oh this is great only thing better would be is if there was like a reclusive person writing letters and it was all epistolary I also love epistolary things but I I, I have every intention of writing an, an epistolary
1: romance one of those days I love epistolary anything yeah my books tend to have I an overabundance of letters in them
0: yes yeah, why I like them I love I love letters I love how I was thinking about this just now when I was walking my dogs. I love how there are different forms of, of writing, and there's a degree of intimacy and introduction that g- drops away depending on what it is. So with a letter, you have a salutation, and you have, you know, how are you, blah, 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 and then you get to the ma- the matter of it, and then you have a sign-off. So there's like an on-ramp and an off-ramp. And with texting, it's just sort of like noun-verb, okay? <laughs> And so when you read like people's email messages and letters and texts, there's all these varying levels of intimacy. Um, but that is a total tangent. And I'm going to shut up now. <laughs> I love that Olivia is trying to write Sherlock's story and fighting it difficult. <laughs> yes, that's that, that finding
1: like, it difficult. That is like me starting that book over again and going, where the hell am I supposed to go with this? <laughs>
0: i was that was actually one of my one of my questions you know when she struggles with the opening is that what it's like to start writing like you struggle with the first scene um
1: i shouldn't say i struggle with the first scene i struggle with the overall direction of the book of which first scene is only the first manifestation of the problem (laughs) I mean, I have written and discarded many of first scenes simply because, you know, later on I realized, yeah, no, this actually, like, needs to start in a different place. I need to go to a different place. So, um, you know, yeah, o- obviously she's not going to use any of them.
0: <laughs> no, she's not going to use any of those multiple openings. But I love right. that she's finding it difficult. Like, this is really, this is hard. Like, surprise. Yes, it is.
1: Yes, yes. It's, it's kind of like uh, taken from my own story because, uh, in a bit, because... Uh, because in, in this book, she kind of like harshes on um, Edgar Allan Poe's uh, murder in the room work, which, right. which is like really obvious, uh, like really bit on the nose, murder in the room work. <laughs> 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 uh, to spoil it for people who <laughs> have never read it, even though it's been around for, I don't know, 160 years. Uh, the culprit is an escaped orangutan. As you do. As 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 you do. And 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 uh Livia is like completely pissed that you know it's an orangutan after all that fantastic <laughs> setup. <laughs> so she like she like hates on it in book one and she hates on it in book two and but basically she's finding at this point, my god, it's a lot harder to do uh, better than the orangutan. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it was kind of like my own story. I kind of threw a romance uh, at the wall and go, I can do better than that. And then I, no, no, you actually can't. You know, no, it's not for, hard, not for years and years. Yeah,
0: in this book, in Conspiracy in Belgravia, it's safe to say it's not an orangutan.
1: It's not an orangutan at all. Yeah, no, no. In fact, the person would be highly uh, offended uh, <laughs> <laughs> to be compared to an orangutan. If they even know what a orangutan is. Yeah.
0: So what can you tell readers about what happens to Charlotte in this book?
1: What happens to Charlotte is she accepts what she thinks will be a fairly straightforward case. Because um, she thought the only difficult thing in this case is that the client is the estranged wife of a man uh, whom she very much wished had not married uh, this woman. So uh she is not exactly unbiased in this uh but she you see she's actually a lot less biased against this woman than a lot of other people a lot of you know her friends such as uh, Mrs Watson and uh, Penelope Redmayne um Mrs Watson's niece she's a lot less biased than them um so when the case starts um Mrs um not Mrs Lady Ingram comes and says I have this um this young man whom I used to know um whom i used to love i had to give him up to make uh, to uh, to form an advantageous marriage because that was what was expected of me uh and uh, ever since i gave him up uh, we have never spoken to each other we have never written each other we only see each other once a year and we don't even talk to each other we just we just walk past the same place at the same time so it's been this is the 7th year and this is the year he does not show up Oh, and yeah. and she is completely distraught. She doesn't know what happened to him. Half of her is thinking, yeah, of course, it's been seven years, He's move on. The other half is like, it's, it's not like him to like, just give it up altogether without even a word. Um, and that's why she comes to Sherlock Holmes because she, she can't just take this problem to anybody. She's a married woman looking for her erstwhile sweetheart, quote unquote. Um, and so, of course, she has to go to a stranger. And so Charlotte once she learns that the person Lady Ingram's looking for is actually her half-brother, thought this was a piece of cake because she actually knows her half-brother's address because her half-brother has written to her father. This is her father's illegitimate son. So he has written to her father and basically told him that he's in London, he's doing all this. Um, So he had been an option when when she left home in book one. He had been an option for her to go to. In the end, she did not go, go to him because she didn't know him. Uh, she didn't know whether he would help her in the first place or report her whereabouts to her father. And she didn't know whether, um, also she didn't know whether she'll be just jumping from one man's keeping to another's. If she could be free, why not? Um. So now she just thinks, well, I'll I'll just go and see what's going on. And then she goes and visits and, and his, his landlady is like, Oh yes, Mr. Finch. Mr. Finch is just gone on holiday. And she's like, huh. So you have here his, his old fiancé and his old girlfriend who's basically like tearing her hair out for the, for the one him, and He seems to be like doing just fine. And the landlady says, oh, it's good. You know, um, and so it goes on uh, the, with, with the case getting stranger and more complicated every, at every turn.
0: As, as mysteries are supposed to do. <laughs> right. Because it is never as easy as you think it's going to be when you start. Right. It's going to be easy are like famous last words. <laughs> so in the beginning of uh, Olivia's attempts to, uh, to, to write Charlotte's story, she says it's a tale of woe and vengeance. Is this a tale <laughs> of woe and vengeance? No, she, she's, she's, and summa- she's
1: summarizing the previous story. Because she is writing a version of the previous story, since uh, book one of the series is based on a study in Scarlet. So that 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 was a vengeance story. So she was trying to summarize that as a story of woe and vengeance.
0: Right. So this one, not so much woe, more like, what the hell?
1: Yes. This, this one, I think, in the end, is very much a conspiracy, right?
0: Right. For readers who are starting the series, it's probably best to start with book one.
1: I think so. Although I've read from some people that they have just read second book directly and it works as a standalone, uh, I think I, I I cannot judge because I know the story. Um, but I've read some reviews that says they were not they didn't have too much difficulty following because you know we are following. Uh, after all, this is a Sherlock Holmes pastiche, and right, of course. Yes,
0: I've noticed there are a lot of uh, female recasting of classical male stories going around what is it that you think about uh about sherlock holmes that is so intriguing that he gets revisited so often i mean what was it intriguing about it about him for you
1: um i think it's two things uh one which makes it possible is that we don't know anything biographical about sherlock holmes at all because to work on my uh prestige, actually went and did a did a little research, and basically, uh, Conan Doyle never gave you any biographical information other than the no. fact that he has a brother named Mycroft and maybe another one named you know, uh, Sherringford or or whatever. Um, we do not know his age other than he was an adult nominally uh, at the beginning of. Uh, of a study in Scarlet. Um, and we don't know what kind of family he came from, although people have deduced that he must be from either upper gentry or a uh, minor aristocracy, given that he seemed to live a very free bohemian type of style and he doesn't seem to need the money from his cases since he turns down anything he doesn't like. And, and so all there is to, to Sherlock Holmes is basically a brain and a set of demeanors. Right. Then you can... You could, and then subsequent writers could come and project anything else they want upon him. He could be young. He could be old. He could be, you know, he could have had a, a previous marriage for all that anybody knows, because I think some people have gone that way. Some people have, um, I think in the, uh, Mary Russell and Sherlock Holmes book, uh, by, uh, Laurie King, uh, she, she gave, uh, uh, Sherlock Holmes a son with Irene Adler, which happened before, um, before Mary, Mary Russell came on the scene. Um, so that's one thing in that, uh, you are completely, the, the later writers are, are almost completely unlimited in what they can do with Sherlock Holmes in terms of biographical details. And another thing is that he is so blunt. <laughs> <laughs> he really is. <laughs> he, he's so blunt, so free to call anybody an idiot and, uh, and all that, um, I mean, nowadays I think uh, people in our society are pretty free to call each other idiots too. But um, but think about in Victorian times when there are so many layers of um, etiquette and politeness. Uh, that is just freeing. It is just freeing. It is like you know, it, it's nice to see him call the incompetence and whatever outright uh, when when the reader, average reader, probably was. You know, would love to have said that to somebody's face, but would never dare. Um, so I think that's another part of the fascination about him is is just the the pure honesty and kind of like, of course, the author being this being wish fulfillment gave him enough power and prestige and um, and and intellect to get away with everything because he's always right. Right, you can't take down somebody
0: who's always right. You have to wait till they're wrong to like kick them in. <laughs> Well, no doubt, Yeah. And being always right and having no fucks to give is a dangerous combination. It's
1: a dangerous combination, uh, which is why I think they gave him the later writers tend to give him various vulnerabilities, right? Uh, the, the drug addiction and all that.
0: <laughs> to write that set of very unspecific characteris- characteristics onto a woman opens a whole other realm of possibilities, doesn't it? it's not
1: only opens them up, but it's kind of basically it's um, how to say it. Uh, It changes the equation altogether. Yes, very much so because, because women are not supposed to be like that at all. No, not even today. She'll be kind of, you know, problematic back then it was an absolute no, no. So by changing her, by changing the character of Sherlock Holmes into a woman, it's, it's, it's not just, Changing the gender, it changes the everything that goes with the story. How the story can be set up, what kind of life she can lead, and you know what kind of difficulties she will face that that a male Sherlock Holmes never had to deal about.
0: Hence, social boundaries being such mm-hmm. an issue for Charlotte. Yes, exactly. And
1: uh, well, actually, it was never her problem. <laughs>
0: No, it wasn't really it, her was, problem. it was it was it was
1: everybody else's problem. Yeah, she was I mean, she too. dealt with that in the first
0: yeah, chapter. She was, she <laughs> was like, "We're just going to solve this problem yeah, well, right, right,
1: now. right now." Yes, yeah.
0: <laughs> you know what? I I I kind of want her to have sex that she enjoys at some point. I'm sure <laughs> you know? she will. I'm sure she will. But you know? but you know, it was we so bad. We we it was so bad. we are
1: we are still in the uh pre-contraception era. So Right. Yeah, she Charlotte, can't enjoy it too frequently. Charlotte, 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 Charlotte has to think carefully about it uh, before uh, she, uh, you know.
0: Yes, very much so. <laughs> what are you working on right now? Are you? I know you're about to do the promotional inf- um, tour and campaign for conspiracy in Belgravia what are you uh working on are you working on book 3 in this series already?
1: I, I am nominally working on book 3 uh i have done some work on book 3 over the summer and uh as usual uh that work got thrown out so <laughs> <laughs> it's all part of the process <laughs> it's all part of the process no problem but it's just that you know sometimes uh sometimes uh, deadlines uh, start uh, bearing down and uh and I always used to say it's like my balls have been nailed to the wall. It's just that the signal haven't re- haven't reached my brain yet. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> 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 yeah. So uh, in in about a month or so, I'll be uh, like uh, in a state of minor panic. Uh, but right now, I'm still like la la la, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
0: So do you know what you're going to do with the next book in the series? Or are you still sort of exploring all of the options?
1: I think by throwing out what I don't want to do, I am now sort of set on what I will do. It's always like this. For some reason, I always think that, you know, this will be a nice thing to do. Let me do it in a future book. No, idiot. If you think something is nice to do, that because that's because you cannot think of anything else that's nice to do. So you have to use it for this book, not the future book. Right? Don't save it. Use it. That's yeah. why your that's why your brain had that idea. That, exactly. Uh, the the plot in book two was definitely something that had been saving for like book five or six down the road. And I wrote it, and I wrote it, and it was like, "Yeah, you know what? I don't have any other ideas. We better use the plot from book five. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to get to that book five and be like, damn it, get, uh, Sherry. past Sherry. You stole what you were supposed to do for book five. Now what the heck are we going to do for book five?
0: So you have sort of a, an overarching idea of where the series will go. Ah, uh,
1: you are asking the wrong person. <laughs> if I if I did. No, actually actually, I did. Back when I thought those ideas were in book five. <laughs> but, I, but, but I've already stolen... In book two, the idea, old idea for the book five, and now after having thrown out the first draft of book three, I am stealing the next best idea for book five. So, <laughs> oh, a well, piece of cake. So next summer I'll be sitting here again, going crap. <laughs> wonder if book K has something I can steal from.
0: Oh darn! Yeah. <laughs>
1: So yes, so uh, so yes. Originally, I had an idea for book five, but that's going to be book three now. So book five will just have to for itself when the time comes. Uh, yeah, book five can go fuck itself now. So we have to worry about
0: book three now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So plot notwithstanding, you sort of have a vision of where all of these people are going to end up sort of maybe perhaps
1: maybe i don't want to like you said i do want charlotte to be having regular good sex at some point so yeah so so that's smart lady deserves a good orgasm that's something to be working toward right you know when all all else fails you know strive toward the orgasms right
0: i think that's a very good i think that's a very good goal yeah it worked for romance yeah sure Hey, when all fails, go for a good orgasm. It yeah. solves a yeah. lot of things. Or
1: at least point, point, uh, point the lady in the direction of the orgasms. Yes,
0: <laughs> yes at, at if, least if she, give her something if she, if she, to hold If she can't for. find
1: it with a map and a good light, uh, then that's her problem. <laughs> right.
0: Certainly certainly not his problem. It's got to be – kind of start with her. <laughs> <laughs> so with the world that you've created around Around Charlotte, there are a lot of characters um, around her. And one of the things that I really loved about the first book was the female friendships, that she develops real friendships. And like you said a moment ago, um, when Lady Ingram comes, you know, the other women are like, uh, well, she's horrible. And Charlotte doesn't treat her the way that other characters do. How have you been building the female relationships in this series through the next book?
1: you mean the next book that is now
0: i mean the one that the conspiracy in Belgravia, oh, the one okay. that's coming out okay like i was it.
1: like uh you like you mean the one that was just trying to outline this morning that's like four lines no in no, no i'm talking about <laughs> yes, uh, i'm yes, talking this, about uh, yeah. Book, yeah. Yeah. book
0: six book six yeah. <laughs> book <laughs> how are the girls in book six Every, how are you doing orgasms for everybody
1: or, orgasms yes. for you orgasms for
0: you how's that that is <laughs> just
1: <laughs> what i want I, I'm, I'm book oprah <laughs>
0: <laughs> your orgasmic oprah oh, everybody orgasmic gets oprah. an orgasm <laughs> <But sex. laughs> so um
1: her relationship with mrs watson is like uh one part partners one part friends and one part kind of like um mother-daughter relationship yes so in this uh you know there's no relationship without conflict and, and so, so in this, Mrs. Watson is slightly frustrated with this young woman. I mean, first of all, she's like taking on Lady Ingram as a client and Mrs. Watson hates Lady Ingram with the force of a thousand sons. And then she's just going around, you know, solving other stuff and just coming home late and all that. And, and basically, Mrs. Watson, as any other good maternal lady, is worried. And when she's worried, she's like, you, you, you. And, uh, but then Charlotte is kind of like, yeah, you know what? You're right. Because, you know, although Charlotte has no fucks to give, she also doesn't hold on too hard to um, her own uh, vanity and, uh, and all that other stuff that prevent people from apologizing for mistakes and stuff. And, and, so, um, and so one of uh, Mrs. Watson's concerns is that her, her father still hasn't come for Charlotte because, because we're still living in an era where um, they're still in an era where a young, young lady, fallen or not, who just outliving her own life that is like considered unacceptable to the family. So lady, uh, Mrs. Watson is really concerned that you know, Charlotte could just be snatched off the street uh you know by her father or the man her father hires just and just drag back home and stuff into a cottage and never to see the light of the day again um so 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 then her concern is that charlotte be able to defend herself and so when i said earlier in the podcast that charlotte's been learning some um uh fencing skills it's actually from mrs right. mrs watson
0: who oh cool yes
1: so So they are the ones uh, and Charlotte uh, here, I gave Charlotte a little bit of my difficulties with exercises, (laughs) (laughs) which is basically like a little bit of it. And, you know, she's ready to be flat on the floor. Yeah. (laughs) So she so she struggles with it. Oh, yeah, she struggles. Yes. Mm -hmm. And actually, um, I was in Smith College this past spring. And uh, they had a they had their own little version of uh, Comic Con, which was a lot of fun and uh, very well organized. And they had brought in uh some local historical martial arts practitioners. I just happened to casually ask somebody, say, Hey, I happen to have this scene. So then I actually got expert consultation on oh, cool. exactly what kind of martial arts they were using and what would be good for like uh, you know, um for stuff like for just like a cane you have around and this and that uh so yeah so they are actually practicing a french form of martial art called Comme de combat um
0: and whacking at each other pretty good yeah that's very cool i know are you are you now an expert in this form of combat
1: uh, uh no i only know enough to fill two pages <laughs> <laughs> And that's with a lot. That's with that's with the the very nice gentleman uh, going line by line down there with me. <laughs> but but that's very cool though. But that's the thing. But that's the thing. I only need to know a tiny bit more than everybody else for them to think I know a lot more. <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is true. It's like the the anti method acting style of writing. You need to know just a little bit more than the rest. Yes, writer. yes. Uh, that's always been my method of writing. Were there uh, were there other parts of researching this book that you found really fun? Were there other parts of research in this book, uh, or like you know, does research suck all the way around?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. There, there were. Um, well, because because um, uh, there's a subplot involving Livia in her uh, in her um, in her uh, effort to write a proper uh, Sherlock Holmes story, right? Tale of Woe and Vengeance. Yes, yes. So after she decided the Tale of Woe and Vengeance was uh inadequate she, she basically she sets out to read uh, all kind of a similar kind of uh, um stories so i kind of gave myself uh, a very um well like i say like a symbol for of an education <laughs> uh on uh on the earliest mystery uh works of mystery because those are the those, oh. are, those are the ones you should be reading i mean other than right, of yeah there there are your uh, edgar allan poe and and there are some uh, um a couple of uh, works by this gentleman named Mr Wilkie Collins. I'm trying to think what it is. It's actually a a German book but set in France also a mystery slight adventure kind of very early that today we won't recognize it as a mystery, but you know back then they were all the rage um so so that she could read them and so that she and this young man she meets could talk about them because he happened to be a connoisseur of early uh, detective novels too. So that was, that was a lot of fun to put together. Yeah.
0: That is cool. That's more book inside a book inside a book.
1: Yes. Yes. Because, because why not? People who who read books
0: already like books. So (laughs) just more, more stuff for them to like. And also representing what characters were reading at that time and including what like actual people were reading and obsessed with at that time makes the setting more vivid.
1: Yes. Yes. Makes and those different. were the popular, popular, uh, fiction of that era. Yeah. Those who all were right, very well received books. Uh, very well received at least, you know, like people like them and the author made money <laughs>
0: <laughs> and adding the popular culture of a time period, it, it exposes more about those people.
1: Yes. Yes. I've, I've always liked, uh, uh when I, when I do world building, I always like to put in details And uh, always, if possible, I like to put in surprising details, Um, surprising, not in the sense of surprising, but surprising in the sense that it's kind of like when you read Lord of the Rings. uh, Sure, uh, Tolkien puts a lot of details in there, but you have the sense that this is part of a much bigger history and uh, culture and literature that he's just putting like tiny bit out of. That's always been the kind of sense that I want to give so that you have a feeling that it's a much wider world, not not just like concentrated on these characters, that they are actually living in a world not against the back, uh, white back, backboard.
0: Right. That the world exists around them and you're reading a narrow piece of it. Yeah.
1: So I always like uh, such things that if especially if I can uh, have people say, oh, yeah, this was fashionable uh, two years ago. <laughs> then it gives a sense like there's a time for those people also that's like now it's modern and you know that's like out of fashion
0: and all that yeah when a study in scarlet women was released did you hear from people who aren't romance readers did this uh, attract a different readership to your work i think it did interestingly enough
1: sometimes i hear from romance readers who say um they give it to their parents or uh, people they know who, um, who might be reluctant to read romance because of whatever preconceived ideas about romance. Um, I can't, at the, oh gosh, uh, I hope you forgive me, but there's this, uh, there's this, uh, um, uh, there's this lady on Twitter who told me that she gave a, a, a studying Scarlet Women to her mother. And uh, because her mother won't read romance, so she has to first prove that I am a decent writer. So her oh mother gosh. mother is a bit of a book snob. Um, so oh god. so 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 then um, so then uh, after she read a study in 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 Scarlet, she was willing to read my romances, and then she was reading them and go, oh my god, there's too much sex. Bring on the next book. <laughs> Don't too much sex. How about the next book? <laughs> I-, I hope I'm telling this story right because that's sort of the impression I was under. <laughs> yeah. good it's not everybody's cup of tea, you know, uh, on-, on page sex, but
0: uh, it's all right. So, the question I always ask each guest is what are you reading that you want to tell people about?
1: Uh, right now, uh, well, I can tell you, but I don't think most people are <laughs> able to read it right now. I'm actually, uh, making my way through a, uh, set of, uh, uh, Chinese martial arts, uh, novels that I had first read when I was a child. And, uh, I'm not sure why I saw them at the library and I grabbed them and, uh, five, there's five volumes and I'm making my way through them. I gave up using the dictionary, like hundred pages in, I just like, yeah, I still understand it. I don't know how to pronounce everything. (laughs) Um, But but other than that, um, other than that, I'm also reading a book called Ancillary Justice, which is, yeah, I've been, this year I've been reading a lot of plot heavy stuff and a lot of uh, science fiction. So basically I was like, um, what are some of the best uh, science fiction that's been written this century? I want to, and this came on one of the lists. And when I saw wow. it, when I saw it, I realized I had heard it recommended elsewhere before. It's, it's a very interesting book in that everybody's female. Oh, no, interesting. No, 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 which is not the case, but, but the protagonist is speaking in a language that is, has no gender distinction. So, every, oh, wow. so everybody's by default a she. Okay. Sometimes the, the narrator will say, uh, I can, I can tell that this person is a male, but then go on referring to them as she again.
0: wow that is really interesting (laughs) yes
1: yes and uh and of course that by itself would just be a gimmick without the story to back it up but so far the story has been fascinating and uh and it's it's both both seems kind of like related to the present and seems completely alien um so that's that's totally what you want out of any science fiction right So I've been uh, been having a lot of fun with that. Um, And that's written by Anne Leckie, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, It's the first book in a trilogy. Um, And also, I just listened to uh, Midnight Riot.
0: Oh, I just finished reading that series. What did you think?
1: I liked it. But my God, it's it's a lot denser and a lot more violent than I expected from the beginning. (laughs) <laughs> yes, yeah, <it's> pretty violent. <laughs> like like I often uh will put on audiobooks when I cook. Right? And s- at some point I was like I don't know if this is a good audiobook to be cooking with. There's <laughs> 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 Like definitely I wouldn't be able to eat while reading it. So should I cook while I was <laughs> <laughs> It was a really good book, but yeah, as I said, dense and uh unexpectedly violent given at the beginning it seemed kind of like harry potter so it's like uh, harry potter meets like uh, hannibal lecter or something or dexter yeah yeah kind of yes it's it gets kind of gory the
0: farther you get yes yes
1: Uh, like so uh, ergo we start feeling denser and denser but i am undeterred i am in the middle of listening to the second book now so (laughs)
0: How do you like the, uh, the audio? Cause I read them. How do you like the, uh, the audio? I really like the audio. I, I enjoy a good performance because they, um,
1: uh, they give up everybody a different accent, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, so especially in this book, uh, has a very diverse cast and, uh, it has, uh, has, uh, like, for example, the mama, mama Tames, uh, speaks with a Nigerian accent or slightly Nigerian accent. And I think, uh, um, Beverly Brooks speaks with a, I'm not sure. I don't think it's African, but it's like, it's, it's, it's a different kind of London accent than say the narrator speaks and say her more posh sister uh, Tyburn speaks and, and all that. So, so it's, it's very interesting. I, I like it when, you know, uh, a narrator can bring like 30 different accents to bear. Um,
0: yes. And remember them all. It's really impressive.
1: Yes. Yes. Make, which makes uh, our job as listener easier. Definitely.
0: Do you ever read and then listen or listen and then read a particular book? I'm trying to think whether uh yes, yes.
1: I believe I have listened to Bridget Jones' Diary and then either I was reading it and started listening to it, or listening to it and got too impatient and started reading it. <laughs> but I feel like a book such as Bridget Jones' Diary is especially good on audio. Because uh, for for those people who have read Bridget Jones' Diary, you know that every start of every entry is calories consumed, drinks consumed, fags consumed, stuff like that, right? And and, and, and the weight, 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 weight du jour. (laughs) Yes. I feel like when you read, you tend to become too impatient. You skip over all those things. When actually a lot of times the humor is in, you know, how many cigarettes she consumed, how many drinks she consumed, you know, because she's so stressed and this and that. Uh, yeah. Although, although the, the bad thing about audios is it, slow. Sometimes you go, yes, so, I have to speed it up. Yeah. Sometimes you go like, I have two hours. I could actually finish this book instead of like <laughs> wait, wait, waiting, waiting to cook another whole week before I get to the end of this.
0: <laughs> yes. I know that problem. Yeah. I've had to start speeding up my audio books because I get impatient and I find that if I speed it up to about 1.3 or 1.4 times normal speed, they don't sound like uh, Alvin and the Chipmunks, but it's fast enough that my brain is kept active, keeping up with the, uh, keeping up with the performance.
1: Right. But, but I still, I kind of like, I tried it, but I still find it goes a little too fast. And I think I like, yeah. I like, I like the natural cadence of, uh, um, Especially if they're doing different accents, because then you can savor them. Right, right. And also when you are like standing in front of the fridge, trying to remember what is it you're trying to pull out of there. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm <laughs> for, for onion or milk. If they're talking at one half speed, I don't think I can pay attention to both at
0: the same time. This is very true. <laughs> <laughs> And that is all for this week's episode. I want to thank Sherry Thomas for hanging out with me. And I want to thank you for hanging out with me as well. In the podcast entry at smartpodcasttrashybooks.com. No, that's not right. Can't even get my own URL right. Are you listening to this? I don't know if you can tell, but I'm sure that you can tell. I have a bit of a cold um, and I've had it for over a week. So I've just kind of given up on not having a cold, but apparently cold medicine makes you get your own URL wrong. So let me, let me try that again. I'll just leave all this in and hope it's entertaining. At smartbitches, trashybooks.com slash podcast, I have the podcast entry, also known as the show notes. And inside the show notes, I have a link to a free short story from Sherry Thomas that's part of the Charlotte Holmes world. And the first cover for the second book, the first version of this cover for the second book is now the cover of the short story. And it's really beautiful. As is the cover for the second book and the first one. I will have links to both of those. And I will have links to all of the books we talked about as well as pictures of the covers, should you wish to check them out. I mean, I like cover art. I assume you do too. You can find all of that at SmartBitches slash podcast. Hey, look at that. I remembered my own URL. And we also have an iTunes page at itunes.com slash DBSA. This week's podcast is brought to you by Once a Rebel, by Mary Jo Putney, and by Kensington Publishing. Thank you, Kensington. Known for captivating characters and exceptional historical detail, romance legend Mary Jo Putney writes beautifully crafted, deeply emotional historical romances with a dash of adventure. In Once a Rebel, Mary Jo Putney tackles a setting rarely seen in historical romance, the War of 1812. As experienced by the hero and heroine on the ground in the thick of things, the British infantry burn Washington DC to the ground and the British Navy attempt to capture Baltimore the conflict that inspired America's national anthem. The battle for Baltimore is rendered in exquisite detail, making Once a Rebel a poignant look at the fledgling American nation and its relationship with Britain as the characters' loyalties to the crown are tested. All's fair in love and war. You can find Once a Rebel at kensingtonbooks.com. And again, thank you, Kensington, for sponsoring the podcast this month. I'd also like to thank Dayquil, Mucinex and all of the cold medicine that I've been taking this week, trying to have enough of a voice and, you know, breath to record this. I would also like to tell you about two things. First, we have a podcast Patreon, and if you've had a look at slash smart bitches, or if you've become a patron, thank you! That is most awesome of you. I invite you to have a look if you haven't, because if you like the podcast, helping me grow it, or can make it grow, I don't know, can grow really be used as a verb like that? Making the podcast growable hey that's good the patreon helps the podcast grow and i appreciate your support i appreciate every recommendation and review and all of your subscriptions to the podcast which contribute to its impressions and the way that it shows up in all of the different podcasting apps and there are so many the music that you are listening to is from sassy outwater you can find her on twitter at sassy outwater this track is caravan palace it's called maniac I am not a maniac. I'm actually pretty sleepy, but you can find this particular song if you would like to dance to it, which you totally should, on their two album set, Caravan Palace and Panic. You can find it at Amazon and iTunes, and you can find Caravan Palace on Facebook and on their website, caravanpalace.com. I'm going to have to find more music where the people are on MySpace because it gives me a terrible, terrible joy to say, and you can find them on MySpace. And none of them are on Friendster. It's like a total bummer, right? They should be on Friendster. As I mentioned, I will have all of the links to the books that we discussed and pictures of the covers and links to the short story. And of course, places where you can find Sherry Thomas. But in the meantime, on behalf of me and Orville, all of my cold medicine and all of my tissues and everyone here, We wish you the very best of reading. Have a great week. And thank you once again for joining me at Smart Podcast Trashy Books.